Well, it's good to be with you uh, and, uh, as a second-string quarterback today. Uh, Jason and Holly send their regrets. I've been talking to them last night. Today, they should arrive around 5 this evening. Their plane was canceled due to all the thunderstorms that were around last night. And so that's what happened. Uh, so you get me instead. Uh, no, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. I, I, mean, I, I was part of Grand Parkway uh, Baptist uh, founding years ago. I've been an old Fort Bend guy. I lived here for uh, 12 years. We're back. I live in spring now. Serve as the National Network of Youth Ministry State Coordinator for Texas. They said, what are you going to do when you retire? I said, what's retirement? I said, uh, I'm just going to transition out of local ministry, which I did for 51 years as a music and youth minister all those years and just took on the state of Texas. So there we go. I'm old but not tired. Uh, it's an honor to be here. If Jesus walked on one of the campuses here in Katy, Texas, one of the school campuses, what would he think? What would he feel? What would he see and what would he know? Uh, I've been doing some research. Recently, I worked with a group called Movement DFW. We're working in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to align all of our resources to keep students in the faith. We know that a million students every year we're losing not only to the church but to the faith. And uh, I'm saying not on my watch. We have a group called NOW, and so that's what we're working on. Our goal is to change the trajectory of Christianity for the next generation. And we did some research. Uh, if we can get the slides up, I don't know if we have them or not, but uh, I'll just tell you about that. If every church stays status quo right now, we're going to lose 35 to 50 million students by uh, 2050. And less than half of young people in the U.S. right now identify as Christian. Only 8% uh, follow and practice just basic Christian habits. And uh, by the way, only 11% of adults do. So if churches stay status quo, we're going to have a problem. 62% of our students leave by age 18. Our research shows that uh, here's how they see the church, at least in Dallas-Fort Worth. We did a year's worth of research uh, a year and a half ago, actually the entire last year. We found out that our research showed that the church, they are saying the church is irrelevant. We're not answering the questions they're asking. Uh, it's also uh, unloving. Uh, they wonder what's going to happen when they bring their friends. And they also find it to be inauthentic and somewhat manipulative, like we want you to go this way and that way. And so that's some stuff we looked at. Our goal was to find some way to change this. Another thing we found out is there's a great need for heroes. Heroes are important in their life. Out of their 15 locust, uh, closest relationships, we found out that those that had uh, three or four adult and, and peer heroes, that means they talked about Jesus, they prayed in front of them, they knew they were church people, they, they're going to stay in church. But we found a lot of them that had zeros in their life. That means they have no person in their life that really talks a lot about Jesus. And they're, they're going to tend to, to drop off and be part of that million students. And we don't want to see that happen. And so we're trying to change that. The reason all of this is happening, there's, a, there's the death rate uh, of our, our older population, the increase of nuns, people that say they have no religious affiliation, and then the dropout of students. So all of that together says we're going to run 50% in all churches by the year 2050, and no church is immune from that statistic. Uh, but we still have something to, to do about it, and I'm part of that, and I hope that you'll be a part of that too. Uh, it's time to move from status quo. History is going to remember us for either another dark age or a great spiritual awakening. And as far as I'm concerned, let's go for a spiritual awakening. I want to see revival happen. So we're saying now, not on our watch. 
and there are some things we can do about it, and I hope to give you some good news about that. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 is our passage today. If you want to go there, different versions say, different, say it different ways, but you know the passage. Um, Jesus walked through the crowds, and when he said crowds, he saw everybody. It was like a big pep rally. He'd see the football players and the cheerleaders, and he'd see the, the smart kids and the just-there kids. He'd see the, the dark kids and the pierced kids. He'd see them all. He'd see the teachers. He'd see the educators. And would he be threatened by that? Not at all. He would just walk through them, and he would love them all. I know what his heart is about for students. Uh, here's what he would think. He would, sit, he would basically see their, their failures. He would see their decadence. Uh, but he'd see that their real need was to have a relationship with him and be changed from the inside out. He wouldn't be afraid. He wouldn't be cynical. He wouldn't be threatened. He would feel compassion. So we get a glimpse of that in this passage. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. And maybe your translation says distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that paragraph summarized the activity of Jesus, teaching, preaching, and healing, caring for people all that time. And he, he would go out and he would take his disciples with him. And uh, he healed every disease, by the way. Did you see that? In Matthew 9, we see a real key to his discipleship plan. He, he walked in front of them. He took them with him. My friend Greg Steer says that Jesus was a youth group leader because he talks about giving, saying, Peter, take this, go find a fish, and you'll find a coin in his mouth, and take that and pay our taxes. That's just Jesus and Peter. What about the rest of them? They weren't possibly old enough to pay taxes. So Jesus was a youth group leader with one adult sponsor and one really bad kid. So, he was in a moving classroom, a 24-7 mission trip with his followers, watching him minister as he was teaching them as they go. The backstory: we look at all of Matthew 9, uh, as they were going, what he was doing was just discipling his, his disciples as they were watching. The first scene is a paralytic, and the guys let the, the paralytic down through the roof. They weren't going to let anything keep their friend from Jesus, even tearing up the roof. And so they let him down, and Jesus, they said, no one can forgive sins, but, but God, he goes, really? Uh, your sins are forgiven. Go up, stand, take your pallet up and walk. So he, he was proclaiming his, his outwardly, he was, he was a man, but he was also fully God. And so he was letting them know who he was. The next thing, Matthew himself covers the fact that Jesus came and ate with him and a lot of other sinners. And the Pharisees were there because it's a lot easier to be a sermon critic than it is to be a stretcher bearer anyway and so that's what they were doing they were just trying to check out he didn't follow the rules very well by the way about hand washing and things like that externals as we uh, exert those on people is one of the main things that keeps students out of the church all these externals we have I had to, probably a well-meaning deacon uh, tell a student that I had uh, that, was, that was coming had kind of baggy pants said son you, you, we don't dress like that around here in his best Texas draw. Well, that student never came back because he should have cared more for that student's heart than he cared about baggy pants. Externals is not what Jesus was about. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. That's right. Love and compassion. And the next thing, the, the Jewish leaders questioned him about not following the rules, and he said, well, we're talking wineskins here. I'm going to stretch you 
and I'm going to challenge you here because you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And so he challenged them. And then they, uh, they said, well, his work must be by demonic power. And um, the next scene is the synagogue leader says, my, my daughter is, is dying. And so he immediately goes with them. And on the way, breaks the rules again. You don't touch women. You don't touch blood. You don't talk to women. But Jesus said, I do. And so the woman with the issue of blood was healed. And out of that whole crowd, he said, who touched me? And the disciples, you know, what? well, who touched you? What do you mean? This is a big crowd of people. No, I, I felt power go out of me. So he walked through the crowd so slowly that one individual was important to him out of the whole bunch. That's the way Jesus operated. He walked through the crowd slowly. So the next thing he knows, he, he, he was uh, raising the, the daughter from the dead. He's taking care of a dumb man who couldn't speak. He's healing the blind uh, saying, Lord, help us, we're blind, we can't see anything. In all of these situations, uh, Jesus was investing in people, and investing in people is a very messy business, but he's called us to do that too. He walked through the crowd slowly. He didn't just walk for people like us that look like us or always agree with us. Sometimes we, in churches, we sing just as I am, but we really don't mean it. Just as I am. As long as you talk like me and walk like me and look like me and act like me. We saw a glimpse of what Jesus did, but what, what did, didn't he do? He didn't ask the religious leader, why should I help you? He didn't need assurance that the religious leader was going to become one of his followers. He just did it. He didn't explain why he did what he did to the disciples. He didn't worry about how his actions were perceived. He didn't tell the woman with the issue of blood, please get an appointment. Jesus made his own rules for making the good news known, and we see what happened there. Compassion. He was moved with compassion, and that's a gift I believe every Christ follower has because that's how Christ cared. And there's, here's some keys to make a difference in our world today. First of all, we need to feel as Jesus felt. He got completely out of a comfort zone. In fact, he left heaven and came here to live among us. When Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. The original Greek word of compassion, it's the way you felt not long ago when you heard about the school shooting at the Christian school. It was like, it was a gut punch. And it's like, compassion means to be moved as, by, as, as from the bowels, meaning I, that hurts me. But there's a secondary thing about it. It means a panic to do something about it. So if I was coming to church today and I heard a baby cry out in a dumpster, I'm not going to call the fire department. I'm jumping in. That's compassion. That's what compassion does. It has to act right then. My mentor, Dave Busby, called it being God with skin on to people. So why did he feel that way with the compassion? He saw people like they were. And we need to see as Jesus saw. So often a, a student will come in churches and they'll have like a, a Budweiser t-shirt or baggy pants and we'll say, we don't wear that around here. Jesus saw past their t-shirt. He saw past their baggy pants and he saw their face. He saw who they were. He also saw who could, they could become once he had his thumbprint in their life. He saw their future and he blessed their futures. They were di distressed and downcast as sheep without a shepherd. That's what it's described. They're harassed and helpless. Distressed is what you do to furniture. You buy new furniture, and what do you do to make it uh, have it have character? Well, you take barbed wire and you beat it up. You call it distressed, correct, ladies? Okay. And I'll tell you what, distressed. The actual original word there means to be flayed and mangled as by a wild lion, like you see on the TV shows when the lion is tearing up the deer. That's what's going on. And so Jesus saw people wounded, hurting like that. Also, 
downcast, to be cast down like a sheep would be cast. A cast sheep is one that's flipped over and cannot flip itself back up. That's why the staff and rod were important to the shepherd to help get the, feet, the, shep, the sheep back on its feet again. Downcast. I've done that too. I've, I've gone up for a rebound and uh, come down over a guy's back and landed in pike position on my tailbone. I fell so hard I couldn't get up. And that's what downcast means, to fall so hard that you can't get up. That's what the original meaning is there. They were spiritually torn. They didn't know where they were going to go in life. That's how he saw people. I've seen it here in Houston. I've lived here half my life, back and forth. Children as young as 12 trafficked. Um, We're number one now, by the way, in trafficking. We were number three. Children horribly abused, victims of drug abusers peddling their poison. A girl seeking approval from boys because didn't have really a great relationship with their dad. Adults who don't have enough self-esteem, they feel... Uh, they feel like failures because they've been told they're failures all their life by maybe their parents. All of these kind of things. A bullied girl so much in pain that she attempts suicide. That happens here, doesn't it? Barna tells us that only 4% of church-going adults have a complete biblical worldview, and only 8% of students do, and they're, they're making up their own rules. Do you know what the favorite verse of 66%, two-thirds of American Christians is? The favorite Bible verse You'd say John 3.16, of course. No, it's God helps those who help themselves. Two problems with that. It's not, a Bi- not in the Bible. And number two, it's not true. God helps those who depend completely upon him. Sheep are dumb. That's why Jesus kind of said that. <laughs> it's not a compliment. And, and they can find, if there's a break in, a, in, a, in the, the fence with sheep, they can find, they can find their way out. 10,000 ways to find their way out. And if one sheep goes out, what do the rest of them do? They follow. Okay, it's like junior high ministry, Zach. (laughs) One goes out, the rest of them. One jumps off a cliff, all of them jump off a cliff. But not one of them can find their way back without a shepherd. They need to be pointed to the shepherd who would lay down his life in front of that cave to protect those sheep from any wild animal that would come at them. And I'll tell you, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy But Jesus has come to give life and life more abundantly. I'll sign up for that one. And I want every student to do that. We need to see as as Jesus saw. We need to pray as Jesus prayed. The next part says to ask the Lord of the harvest, maybe in your version, or beseech the Lord of the harvest, to pray to the Lord of the harvest. The actual original word there is a lot deeper than that. It's, It's basically my daughter when we're going to the checkout stand and she sees Pez heads when she was about eight years old, said, Daddy, I want one. And I'll say the standard adult response, not today. Dad, I really want, I have this one, but I don't have this one. Well, maybe not right now. Dad, I really want this. By the time that conversation's over, she has beseeched me to the point I bought her two. Because <laughs> I'm a dad, and I love my daughters, and I like to say yes, okay? And God is a lot better than that, let me tell you. But beseech means to rattle God's cage. It literally means to beg. It's not just pray ask it's beg God he's saying guys we've got to get together we've got to beg the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into the field and by the way if you pray for workers you'll become one just warning you if you pray and I I double triple dog dare you to do that let's put it that way pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers you know prayer is such a great privilege and uh we we want to pray with action not just uh 
Lord, help that person over there. Help them. Say, Lord, involve me in this messy business. Use me. You say you want to be like Jesus? Well, okay, do that. You're seeing in Matthew 9 what Jesus did. He got messy. He, involved, he, he systematically and intentionally got involved in people's lives. I'll tell our leaders today, teachers, 10 years from now, they won't remember a thing you said. Now, that blows our egos, doesn't it? What they will remember is who you were. You think about who your heroes were. Mom, dad, grandpa, coach. They didn't have a seminary degree. You would respond, why are they such a hero? They just loved me. They accepted me. They were were that person that was there when I needed somebody. So pray to the Lord of harvest to send forth laborers like that. And finally, we need to do as Jesus did. Jesus got out of his comfort zone and invested in people. It's it's like God wants to use us, but like a glove. One illustration I know is so simple. The Holy Spirit, if the, if the glove just sits there, it can do nothing. But if I take that glove and if I put it on my hand, my hand is doing all the work. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We just become that, that vessel through which he does his work, and the Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us to do everything we need to do. Pray to the Lord of harvest. Beg the Lord of harvest to send forth laborers into the field. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we don't have enough laborers is what Jesus is saying. Has that changed? Not at all. So the harvests don't happen overnight. There's a man, uh, Ken Erke, that says harvest is a community affair. It takes more than a couple of folks running the combines and trucks. Everyone has a job to do, and they're all important to support the ultimate goal of bringing in the harvest. So when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, my heart almost stops. There's a beautiful crop ready to be brought in and no one to do it. I know immediately the sense of urgency for the call for workers. It takes a lot of people to do that, all ages, correct? So send forth laborers. Actually, send forth means to push them out, to draw them out with or without violence. In other words, train them up, send them out, push them out. You guys go take care of it. Into the harvest means we'll do whatever it takes apart from sin to get people to Jesus. Go together. Be real. Listen. Pray. I I like to call it praying behind somebody's back. Find three or four people and just pray the hand out of them. And just pray until you see something happens. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Good idea. Matthew 9, Jesus had that classroom. And then he sent them out in Matthew 10.1. After they saw everything he did, said, now you guys go do it. So are you willing today to walk through the crowd slowly? Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? How many Christians just kind of stay and hang out in their comfort zone today? You know what I'm saying? Comfortable pews, go there Sunday, forget what the preacher says, and come back next week again. Get out of your comfort zone. See past their outward appearance, their T-shirt, their baggy pants. I don't know if you've seen the Jesus Revolution movie, but I love it when there's one deacon says, well, we're not going to have that kind of people around. He walks out. The other deacon stands up, and it looks like he's going to leave, but he goes and sets with the people that didn't look like him. It's a wonderful scene. And Jonathan Rumi, who plays uh, one of the characters, asks Chuck Smith in the movie, when was the last time you were desperate? And it completely changed Chuck Smith's attitude, and he started welcoming everybody in. And they said, if you, you know, they, they come in barefooted, these hippies. They come in barefooted. They're ruining the carpet. Chuck Smith says, oh, no, we can't have that. So the next thing you see is Chuck Smith washing the feet of those who are shoeless as they're coming into the church. That smells like Jesus to me. 
Pray as Jesus prayed. Be moved with compassion. Help me and all of us that are working together change the trajectory of Christianity for the next generation. You already have what you, what you need. And uh, you have whatever it takes to, to reach out to those distressed and downcast people. Do you know anybody like that? Distressed? Where they've been flayed and mangled as by a wild lion through life circumstances and their family and the things going on? Sure you do. How about people you know that are, have fallen so hard they can't get up right now? You know people like that. You know them at school students, adults. You know them at work and places like that. Maybe a neighbor. When they need something so radically different that they'll just flock to it. And what is it? Well, it's the love of Jesus. The accepting, big, overwhelming love of God. His compassion flowing through us to them. An atmosphere of love and acceptance where God is moving in power. Jesus left that comfort zone. Well, that's, that's how the, the revival happened at, at, at Asbury. It wasn't anything fancy. They, they, have, they still have 150 watt bulbs in the ceiling. That place has needed to be re- renovated 70 years ago. There was no sound system. There was no band. They had a guitar, maybe piano, and a cajon occasionally. People were just praying. There wasn't anything crazy about that, but students just saying, I want, I want God to be in charge of stuff. And many, many people were affected by that. Almost every great movement of God has happened through students 19 years and younger. Did you know that? Every great movement of God. What can we do about it, church? Here's the deal. Uh, We need to be desperate. Vance Havner said the tragedy of today is that the situation is desperate and the saints aren't. And so what can we do about it? Here's some practical things, and I'm really going to give you, hopefully, some practical things to do that. Uh, One is the church, Big C Church, has to grow young. If it doesn't, it will grow old. Does that make sense to you? We've got to grow young. What that means is we have to prioritize young people in every way possible. I've worked with them for 51 years, and I'm still not tired of it. It's an investment in the future. Let them be the church. See that young people, they have gifts and talents, and they need to be involved in the total life of the church right now, not just grow up one day. They are the church of now. They're not the church of the future. There's no such thing as the junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit lives in a 13-year-old as much as it lives in any adult in this place. And I believe in young people. If you can't tell it, I'm a little passionate about it. So they're the church now, and they need to be involved. They need a hero. They did an experiment that's very interesting. There were some, uh, there were some people that uh, got together, and, and they were having trouble with math. Ten students were having trouble with their math problems, and they got them some mentors. And uh, about three weeks, all those people having, those kids having trouble with math they, their grades started improving because they had a mentor. And guess what? Not one of those mentors knew anything about math. They were a caring face across the table, caring, and those students excelled because they had that hero in their life. So that's how that happened. So we need heroes. Uh, they need one or two caring adults in their life. Young people need an atmosphere of love and acceptance, so maybe if you don't know some of their names, meet them and call them by name when they come in here. Students need to be empowered, equipped, and mentored and sent out on mission together. They need a mission besides, I'm in ninth grade, I need to go to 10th grade. Their mission, they're placed where they are to be salt and light. That's what Jesus said. We need to be a student of the culture and know their world. No longer can we say, when I was your age, because we were never their age. Because the school that they're in right now, their situation is not like what it was when we were their age at all. So we can't say that anymore. They need to have lasting truth and know why 
they believed. So Jesus was moved with compassion. He got up close. He was real and authentic. What you see is what you get in a moving classroom. Uh, he was relevant. He got to the point. He looked past their stuff and said, we're going to change your life. And he got real, and that, they got to work. So are you willing today to be sent to be a laborer, a worker, not just a teacher, but someone who's willing to get into the mess and make a difference? Part of the solution. Here's some real practical things that you can do. Number one, the first week of May is National Day of Prayer, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. That week, I would challenge you, maybe individually or with a small group or someone, to go to some of these schools here and prayer walk it. And you can go to claimyourcampus.com, and it'll show you exactly how to do that in about 15 minutes. To prayer walk, to pray for these schools. That's really near and dear to my heart. Pray for the schools. Also, when you drive through a school zone, put it in your mind, pray for that school as you drive through the school zone. It's automatic that we can pray for them. Those are simple things. If you need to get trained and want to know how to share your faith and you want to know a little more about that, go to daretoshare.org or to dare to share on, on the website and you can understand how to train. So that my, my goal is to see that there's a prayer, care, and share ministry on every campus in the, in the state of Texas so that every student can hear the gospel from someone they know and have an opportunity to grow in Jesus. Would you help us do that? Amen. Also, students, you're not, uh, this is not all about everybody just taking care of you. You have a mission. There's a website called ninemonthmissiontrip.com or an app called Nine Month Mission Trip that will teach you to be one of those people that can start impacting your campus right now to have a prayer, care, and share ministry on your campuses. So I would challenge you to download that and take the challenge. Maybe, though, in your life, you're the harassed and helpless person today. Maybe you need healing today. Maybe you need, maybe you've fallen so hard you can't get up. And you need to know that you, that you need to know the good shepherd that says, I'm the shepherd and you're the sheep and I'm here to take care of you no, no matter what. I want to give you new life. He loves you. He sees your need. He sees your situation. We know our sin separates us from him. But as we celebrated last week, paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and rose again for you. And whoever calls on his name will be saved. And life with him starts now and lasts forever. It's not just when you graduate and go to heaven. Isn't that good news? He wants, he wants to change you. We saw the old life go away and the new life come in that baptism picture. How beautiful is that? Jesus is here and wants to bring you to life. If you don't know him, that's part of the invitation today. Come and know him today. Come and say, I want to be adopted in the family of God. If you're a Christ follower, let's not lose another student from the faith. Starting now, you can be Jesus with skin on to someone. So let's see how much you want that.